Good to see you this morning and excited to kick off four Sundays in December, our celebration of Christmas and looking forward to it. All month long we're going to be doing something special. We're in a study called Selfless, Selfless, and it's going to come out of one of the most important sections in our Bible. It's going to be fun and encouraging and inspiring for us to take a look at this part of our Bibles. And it's no surprise to you that that we're going to be focusing on the most important person in history, the person that Christians have followed since the day he rose from the dead, Jesus Christ. And, and uh, since the day Jesus rose from the dead, he started a movement that has changed history, and we see its impact even today. All month long, we're celebrating something called Christ Mass, right? So even in the celebrations that uh, we participate in 2,000 years later, we celebrate the centrality and the importance of this person named Jesus. But why is he such an important figure? Why is Jesus so important? Why do Christians think that he's all that? Uh, I mean, it's true that we do. This room is filled with people. The world is filled with people who think that Jesus is something significant, remarkable. But isn't that just based on bad history? Isn't that just a bunch of... uh, because a bunch of people have made Jesus out to be more than he really is. Uh, I mean, Jesus was a good man. Nobody's arguing with that. He's a good man. He taught some good things. But then, didn't his followers kind of go a little bit crazy after that? A little bit crazy with him? And uh, that through the years that uh, after Jesus had left the scene, his followers started to kind of recreate him. They started to turned him into something more than he was, some kind of mystical, magical, god-like figure. Uh, I mean, it's like coming home with a Christmas tree, and you come home with a tree, and it's just a tree. But you let your, lo- your, let your kids loose on it for uh, half an hour at Christmas time, and they hang lights on it, and popsicle stick ornaments, and uh, tinsel, and all of a sudden, you can hardly see the tree anymore. You know, all you see is this shiny, tinselly thing, and uh, you hardly can even know that there's a real tree behind that. Uh, all of a sudden, Jesus gets all these things hung on him, and he's the Savior of the world and all that. Well, that's a very common understanding of who Jesus is. It might even be what you heard your professor in school, your, one of your teachers or profs, Uh, tell you that the Jesus of Christianity is really just the product of religious imagination. Uh, He's just a regular tree. He's probably a better tree than you or me. No arguments there. But he's still just a tree. And it's just that Christians and the church and church councils and all that have added all these ornaments onto him. And if you could take those ornaments off, you'd just find a regular tree. Better than you, better than me, but still, not this tinselly fancy thing. Well, there's an important difference there. There's an important difference that's worth getting to the bottom of. Is Jesus Jesus so remarkable? Uh, And is is Jesus' remarkability history? or religious imagination? Is it true history, or is it just the invention of people who got a little out of control in understanding who Jesus is? That's one reason why I'm excited to study the passage we're going to be 
studying this month. Because this month we're really going to be in just one section of Scripture. We're going to unfold one passage of Scripture, a part of it every Sunday. And I'm excited to do that because this passage of Scripture takes away all the ornaments. It takes off all the fancy stuff. It takes off, there, there isn't anything that's hung on here that doesn't belong. Uh, it's really a passage that gets at the core and the heart of who Jesus really is. And we're going, going to explore it pretty much line by line as we go. One line after the next. And uh, uh, it really is, in our Bibles, one of the most important teachings we have on who Jesus is and what it is that he's accomplished. It's an old teaching, and what's interesting about it is that it was written by a man who used to oppose the very movement that Jesus started. You may or may recognize the name Paul. Paul was a person who wrote a good part of what we call the New Testament. And Paul was a person who, uh, as, a, as a young adult, opposed Christianity. He opposed it so strongly that really his life mission was to round up Christians and uh, imprison them for practicing their, their faith, their following of Jesus. But one day, he met Jesus for himself. And that's what changed his life. He met Jesus for himself, and his whole life was turned around by that encounter, radically uh, turned around. And instead of being someone who opposed Christianity, instead of being one of Christianity's greatest opponents, he became one of Christianity's greatest proponents. And one of the things he did is he put into writing exactly what early Jesus followers thought about Jesus. He put it into writing at a time when people who lived the same time as Jesus were still alive. Paul recorded these, these insights into Jesus and his person, his identity. He recorded them uh, at the time when people who knew Jesus were still alive. So it goes way back, and there's a place in our Bibles where Paul wrote these words down. He wrote them down. It's just a kind of a condensed, super condensed uh, presentation of the essence of who Jesus is. And that's what we're going to marinate in our Bibles uh, in, in this month, in Christmas. We're going to marinate in this section of our Bibles that really gets to the core and the heart of who Jesus is and what he's accomplished. Now, one more thing I want to say about this. Uh, when Paul presents this teaching about who Jesus is, he's not really trying to teach. It's, he's not really trying to teach people. He's actually using it as an illustration he's writing to the church at Philippi, and he's telling the church at Philippi, listen, people, you need to, you need to act like this. And then he pulls out this illustration, and he, he illustrates how he wants people to act by illustrating something, they, by appealing to something they already know. Every public speaker knows that if you want to use an illustration to help people understand what you're saying, you use an illustration that everybody already knows about. Well, the illustration that Paul pulls out that everybody already knows about is what we're going to be looking at. It's something that people already know. And what's significant about that is that Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians about 60 A.D. And by the time he writes this letter, there's already something everybody already accepts. By 60 A.D., they already know what Paul is going to say. So he uses an illustration everybody already knows. The thing is, everybody today, 21st century America, we don't already know that. So for us, it is teaching. It is getting an insight into kind of behind the scenes. But for Paul, he was just appealing to something that everybody already knew. What that means is that what Paul presents us with predates 
the writing of the book of Philippians even. So Paul wrote it about 60 A.D., but this common acceptance, this common insight into who Jesus is predates even Paul's writing of the letter of Philippians. So my point is is that it's old and it's authentic. It takes us back to the very uh, early days of people who knew Jesus and had insight into who he was. And it's interesting that the closer you get to Jesus. The closer you get to him in history, the closer you get to him in time, the closer we get to him in the historical records, instead of him getting smaller and more and more like you and me, he actually gets bigger and less and less like you and me, contrary to what our professors may have told us. So I want us to see that for ourselves. So let's open our Bibles to this passage we're going to be in for four Sundays. It's in the book of Philippians, chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, if you have a Bible with you, great. You, you can use a pew Bible or one of the chairs in front of you, or uh, you can find it on your Trinity app or online on your phone. And I want us to look at this passage for ourselves. We're going to read the whole passage and uh, then boil it, down to, boil it down to our subject for the morning. But we're going to begin in Philippians 2. We're going to start reading in verse 4. Paul, this former opponent of Christianity, who's become a proponent, says, Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Now, we're going to stop there. I just want to stop to remind you. Remember, Paul is using it something everybody already knows about who Jesus is to remind the Philippians how they ought to conduct themselves. So he says, you ought to look out, not just for your own interest, but for everybody else's. And to illustrate, I want to use what we all know about Jesus. Already accepted teaching about who Jesus is. And this is that old, already accepted teaching about Jesus. That Jesus, being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Well, that's our passage. And this month we're going to be looking at this, uh, this part of our Bibles in, in its four different movements. There are really four movements in this passage. And we're going to look at each movement for what it teaches us about Jesus. And our study is called Selfless, and we can see why. It's called Selfless because we see here exactly how selfless Jesus is. We see what he gave up and what he went through and why he did that. And uh, really, to appreciate what Jesus gives up and to appreciate what he goes through, we really have to start with who he is. I mean, it, uh, what Jesus goes through is a lot more significant when you realize who it is you're talking about. He goes through this in the middle, and he goes through this at the end, and to appreciate the middle and the end, it really helps to understand the beginning, who Jesus is at the beginning of all this. 
so that we've clearly established the person who goes through this and does this is this person. And that's where we want to spend our time this morning, at the very beginning. And the very beginning starts out like this. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Basically what Paul says here is the person we're talking about, Jesus Christ, the person that he's challenging the Philippians to be like and to imitate, that that person is, according to, according to this teaching, this pre-existing teaching, he is in very nature God. Paul is asserting that Jesus, the Jesus that we talk about at Christmas time, the Jesus we visualize being in a manger, that Jesus is the eternally existing God. He says, first of all, Jesus is in very nature God. Those two words, very nature, translate one Greek word, the Greek word morphe. We use that word today when we talk about morphing, to morph, right? So it's the very same word, morphe, only it had a little bit of a slightly different meaning in that day. It meant, uh, morphe meant the exact, something that corresponds exactly to reality. It corresponds exactly to the way things really are. That's what very nature means. Something that corresponds exactly to the way things actually are. You could use the phrase, in fact, all right, if you want to. So you could say, who being in fact, corresponding exactly to reality, who being in fact God. Paul is asserting that Jesus is the eternally existent God. Who being in fact God did not consider equality with God. There it goes again. He's equal with God. He has this equality with God, but he doesn't consider it something to be grasped. We'll look at that a little bit next week. Uh, One translation says it, it doesn't consider his equality, his status as God, something to cling to. But, nevertheless, he is, in fact, in very fact, God. So that's what Paul is saying. He's in very fact God. He is, he is God. He doesn't consider that something to hang on to, but don't forget, that's who it is we're talking about. The one who is the eternally existing God. That's who Jesus is. And that's what Christians believe about Jesus. We believe that this person who lived, uh, who, who lived his name was Jesus, changed history, that he was not just a regular regular tree with a bunch of stuff hung on to him, but he was actually, he lived as part of our human history, that the person who did that, the person who lived as part of our human history, was actually God. It's probably the most outrageous thing that Christians believe, right? That Jesus is God. And it's exactly one of the things that your college professor would say, see, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. That's the kind of thing that Christians hang on. That's the kind of thing that church councils hung on to Jesus. Centuries after he lived and died. Uh, That's not a claim that Jesus actually made for himself. That's something that people hung on Jesus long after Jesus had left the scene. That's what your history professor would say. Or or your college prof would say. So let's, let's see for ourselves. Right? I mean, hey, there's a lot of fake news out there today, right? So let's see for ourselves. Let's look at the documents ourselves and see. And when you go to the documents, what you see is that Jesus 
contrary to what people want you to think, Jesus actually did make these claims for himself. He claimed to be the eternally existing God. We're going to see it in a minute. And if it's shocking to you, if you're like shocked by that, you're like, I had no idea that Jesus actually made the claim to be God. That's shocking. If it's shocking to you, if you have a hard time believing it, then that's awesome because that means you're responding to Jesus in the same way that the people close to him responded. If you say that is shocking and outrageous and scandalous that he would say those things about himself, that's good. Because that means you're getting close to how people really saw Jesus. Shocking, outrageous, and scandalous. We actually have four eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life. And because of that, we, we have Jesus in kind of quadraphonic sound. that We can actually peek in on who Jesus is and what he said about himself and how people responded to him. And one of the most heated encounters... Uh, that we have in these four records, one of the most heated encounters between Jesus and the people around him who were shocked by what he said, takes place in the account written by John. John was one of Jesus' closest friends, and he wrote about one day when the people who were shocked by Jesus, they were shocked, they were tired of him going around, dropping these little hints about who he thought he was, and they wanted to get to the bottom of it. They were going to get to the bottom of it. No more messing around. We're just going to get this all out on the table. And they come to Jesus and they call him on the carpet. So let's look at this encounter. If you want to open your Bibles, you can to John chapter 8. That's where we'll be. But we're going to, we got it right up here. So if you just remember, it's John chapter 8. You can look at it in your Bible if you want, but you can also follow along here. So these Jewish leaders come to Jesus and they're like, we've had it with all this hint dropping We've had it. You're, you know, they've seen all the things he's done, and they said, listen, we want to get to the bottom of this. So they come up to Jesus. The Jews came to Jesus. They answered him, and they said, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? How's that for kicking off a friendly conversation, right? They come up to Jesus, and here's how they start. Aren't we right in saying that you are, number one, a Samaritan, Now, calling someone a Samaritan, a Samaritan was someone who is half Jewish and half Samaritan, all right? And so, basically, it was calling them, it was saying, are we right in saying that you're kind of white trash? You know, you're kind of riffraff. Not only that, you're riffraff and you're demon-possessed. Let's just get that out front, Jesus. Aren't we, we're right about this, right? Jesus says, I'm not possessed by a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he's the judge. I tell you the truth, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Wait a minute. This guy, we just said, aren't you, like, best explanation we have for you demon-possessed, just said, actually, I tell you the truth, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Now, if someone said that to you about themselves, if anyone keeps my word, they'll never see death, you'd say, I guess I'm right, like I said, and that's what they said to him. 
They said, at this the Jews exclaimed, now we know. Thanks for clearing it up. Now we know you're demon-possessed. Because you just said something crazy. Anybody who keeps your word will never see death. Now we know you're, you're demon-possessed. Because Abraham died, and so did the prophets. And yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he'll never taste death? Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Here's, what, here's what's happening. The Jews hear him say, whoever keeps my word will not see death. And they're like, you are everything we thought about your craziness. demon. Everything we thought is true because we know Abraham. Abraham, he was, Abraham lived about 2,000 years before this incident. We know Abraham. Abraham was the father of the nation of Israel. He was the father of their faith. They actually call him our father, Abraham. And then next to Abraham were all these prophets. And they said, listen, you said whoever believes in you will never die. Abraham, the greatest of all, died. And the prophets, they all died. And you say that anyone who believes in you will never die. Who do you think you are? Did you know that Jesus answered the question, who do you think you are? Let's see what Jesus' answer is. He says, if I glorify myself, glorify myself, my glory means nothing. He's like, I'm not really here to make myself look big. My Father, whom you claim as your God, He's the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know Him, Ouch, right? Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. Ouch again. But I do know him and keep his word. My, uh, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it. And was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him. And you, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus responds to the question, who do you think you are? By saying, listen, I'd be a liar if I didn't tell you. So I'm going to tell you. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. Basically, 2,000 years ago when Abraham lived... He was looking forward to the day that the one that God would send would show up. And they, they were, he was looking forward to this day. Today is the day that Abraham 2,000 years ago was looking forward to because I am here. And the Jews said, you're not even 50 years old. And like you and Abraham are, like you and Abraham are close friends. You know, you, you and Abraham have crossed paths before. Come on. You're not 50 years old, and yet you have seen Abraham. And look at what Jesus says next. Here's the punchline. This is the whole point. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, do you see what just happened here? If you were a first century Jew, you could really see what just happened. Because you would hear what Jesus said, and you would be shocked. It would be outrageous. That Jesus just said what he said because what he said was, before Abraham was born, I am. Jesus just claimed to be God. 
Now, if you, not being a first century Jew, it's understandable that we might miss that the first time over it, that Jesus just claimed to be God. But let's slow down a little bit and let's notice what Jesus says. He claims to be God. He didn't just say, before Abraham was born, I was. That would be, that would require enough explanation, wouldn't it? You know, just to say, before Abraham was born, I was. That would require its own level of, well, who do you think you are? You were living before Abraham, but Jesus doesn't even say that. He says something even more scandalous. He says, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, again, a first century Jew would understand this on a level that you and I might not. That when Jesus said, before Abraham was born, I am, Jesus was claiming to be God, the God of the Old Testament, because the God of the Old Testament had revealed himself to the people of Israel as it revealed his name, I am. That was God's name. That's how he was known when, when God told Moses to go to Pharaoh and ask for the people of Israel to be released from Pharaoh's slavery. I know that's a lot of Bible history there, but basically when God told Moses to do that, he said, you go tell Pharaoh, I am sent you. It's his name. So when Jesus said, before Abraham was born, I am, Jesus was claiming to be God. And if that sounds like splitting hairs to you, uh, the difference between I was and I am, it didn't sound like splitting hairs to these people. They got it. They knew exactly what Jesus was saying. They knew exactly what he was saying. They knew he was claiming to be God, and you know they knew that by what they did next. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. There wasn't any question in their minds what Jesus was up to. He just claimed to be God. You go around first century Israel claiming to be God, you're asking to be stoned. That's how people responded. They knew exactly what Jesus was saying. They they knew that he was claiming to be God. He almost got killed for it here And he does get killed for it later. That's why Jesus was killed. Because he claimed to be the eternally existent God. See, the closer you get to Jesus, it's not less shocking. The closer you get to the true Jesus of history, it's actually more shocking. Your professor was wrong about that. Christians didn't come up with Jesus being God. Jesus did. And people have been responding to that outrageous claim ever since. Some people respond with skepticism. They're like, yep, I'm not going to buy it. They, are, they don't accept the history. They try to find their way to maneuver around Jesus' words. They ignore uh, the historical record because they want to continue living the way that they want to live. They don't want to make the adjustments that are necessary in understanding when you do understand that Jesus is God in the flesh. They don't want to make those adjustments. So they respond with skepticism. Or maybe they've just never been introduced to the true history. They've just accepted their professor's word for it and never looked into it for themselves. And for those reasons, some people respond, at least initially, with skepticism. But other people respond with confidence. Other people look at these writings, these records of who Jesus is, and instead of responding with skepticism, they respond with confidence and belief. They respond with 
confidence that, that the guy who said he was God, that guy, lots of those. But I'm talking about the one who was killed for it, some of those. And then came back from the dead, oh yeah, only one of those. I believe that he's who he said he is. That he's the eternally existing God. Some people respond with belief. Choosing to believe that the Jesus of history is actually who he says he is, the I am. The eternally existing God who created the universe. And that he must have been right when he said, whoever keeps my words will never see death. Some people believe that's exactly who Jesus is. The one who, if, if, if they would turn to him and believe him for who he says he is, that they would never see death. Some people respond with skepticism, but other people respond with belief and confidence. It's a shocking claim. Whoever keeps my words will never see death. It's a shocking claim, but if anyone could make it, it would be Jesus. Because Jesus made these claims. He rose from the dead. He changed the course of history. He has millions of followers who attest throughout 2,000 years of history who attest to him and would die for him. And so it's at least worth considering. It's at least worth considering. Based on all this evidence, it's at least worth considering. Not taking someone else's word for it, but making up your own mind. And really that's our goal these four weeks in December. It's just to encourage people who've never really thought seriously about this before. People who've maybe taken other people's word for it up until now. That, that you would consider this for yourself. That's what these four, months, or four weeks are really set aside for. Presenting the Jesus of history for your consideration. If you're someone who's never seriously considered Jesus' claim to be God and, and what that might mean for you, then that's what I want to challenge you to do this morning. I want to challenge you to consider that Jesus might actually be who he says he is. Jesus said that he is the only way to eternal life. Jesus said that he is the only way to a repaired relationship with God. Jesus said that he is the only way to a life of purpose and meaning. Jesus said that the life that he brings can be ours just by believing on him. Jesus said, listen, if you want to do God's work in the world, you know what God's work in the world is? To believe on the one who sent me. That's what Jesus said about himself. So if you're like, I want to figure out what life is all about, you know what life is all about? Believing on the one who sent Jesus. And that Jesus is the way back to the one who sent him. I know that sounds different maybe than you've ever heard before, but those come, that, that teaching comes from Jesus himself. So if this is something that you've never considered before, you've never really taken it seriously, or at least not seriously enough to think that it might be something you need to figure out, then I would really encourage you to take whatever your next step might be. To take one step 
in the direction of making up your mind about Jesus. One step. That step might be, uh, you know, your first step in figuring out what you think about Jesus might be to learn a little bit more about what he actually taught about himself, what he actually said. We have something that we'd love for everyone who is interested to pick up and take home and, and uh, process. It's a, a little book called The Case for Christmas. We have them on our uh, guest services table. It's written by Lee Strobel. He's a journalistic investigator, and he's written just a, a really concise here summary of who Jesus claims to be and whether we can take it seriously and what it means. It's just a great uh, Strobel is a, a legal, he's a lawyer and wrote uh, legal journalism, so he uh, understands how to investigate and how to present information, and uh, maybe your first step is just to learn more. This is a great place to learn more. Another great place to learn more is our starting point class, which, which uh, is kind of winding to a close this month, but we'll pick it back up again at the first of the year. So maybe you need to learn more. Well, what a great first step. Maybe that's your first step in that direction. Maybe your first step in the direction of figuring out who Jesus is is to just come every Sunday in December. Come every Sunday. What a great way for someone to figure out who Jesus is, to, to be part of a faith family and uh, hear what claims are made about Jesus, to look at the Bible for, for yourself on a weekly basis with us and, and ask questions. We're a safe place and if you're a skeptic about Jesus, we're super happy that you're here. You couldn't have a safer place to be to explore these questions. So maybe you just need to be here. Maybe you're a little bit farther along and maybe your first step is to start a conversation. Maybe you need to talk to somebody. You're like, I've learned, and, but I need, to t- I need to process this with somebody. I need to ask some questions. I need a back and forth with somebody. Then start a conversation. Start a conversation with someone you know here. Maybe the, the person that brought you with them or invited you or another person that you know and, uh, from uh, some other avenue in Walla Walla. And you're like, I know that person. I could probably ask them. Or you know what? You can ask me or one of the pastors. You may not know us personally, but see our faces. And we'd love to have a conversation with you about who Jesus is and what it means for you. Maybe that's your next step to have a conversation. Or maybe all those things are all taken care of. You've, you've learned as much as you're going to learn, and you've talked, and now it's really just time for you to make a decision. Maybe that's your next step. If that's your next step, then I want to encourage you. You know, then that's just what you've got to do. Sometimes you reach a point where there aren't any other baby steps. you just got to take that big step. And if you're ready for that big step, that's the one thing that you will do when you turn to Jesus and believe that he's the one that God sent. That's the one thing that, that will initiate a whole spiritual transaction between you and God that will bring you into his family, will give you uh, the promise of eternal life, a repaired relationship with God, forgiven sins in the past, a purpose for living today, the promise of eternity when you die. And it's really a simple thing to do. It's just a turning. We, you could break it down and call it as simple as A, B, C. A is just admit. Admit you need Jesus. Admit that uh, you, you're not going to get to God and live the life that you want to live apart from Him and that Jesus is your only way to do that. So you admit. And then B is believe. Believe that Jesus is the one God sent and that the reason He came was to help you have a relationship with God. And then choose. 
Just make the choice. Cross the line. Decide today to make Jesus the giver of your sins and the leader of your life. If this is something that that may be your next step, all these others are taken, and it's just time for you to do that. So I want to encourage you. Today would be a fabulous day to do that, and we'd love to hear from you as you make that decision. So what about the rest of us, Jesus' followers? Here's what I want to do. I just want to point the rest of us. If you've already made this life decision, then back up a little bit from this passage and remember that why Paul, the reason Paul presents this passage to us is to challenge us to be as selfless as Jesus is. He says, listen, don't look on your own interests. Look out for the interests of others. Be just like Jesus, who is selfless. We have a lot of opportunities to carry that out this month, our Reverberate Christmas offering. We have an opportunity to do that there. We have an opportunity to do that with Blue Ridge Elementary School, significant uh, opportunity with a school of great need and the families connected with that who won't be doing Christmas if, if we don't step up. We have a table out there with a lot of blanks on it and a lot of opportunities for you to, to sign up and take that step. So, I mean, there are a lot of opportunities for Jesus' followers to act just like Jesus, the one that we worship. And so we all have something to think about this morning. What I'd like to do is draw this to a close by talking especially to the person who, is not, who has another step to take in deciding who Jesus is. I want to encourage you to do that. So let me ask you just to bow your heads for a minute. And uh, if there's a, a next step you need to take, you need to pick up a book and read it. You need to commit to be here every Sunday. Maybe that's your next step. You need to talk to someone. You've got to have a back and forth with someone before you're ready to do this. That's your next step. What is your next step? Or maybe your next step is, I just got to do it today. I know that this is God talking to me. I got to do it today. Well, identify your next step. I'll give you a, just a second to do that, and then I want to pray that God will give you the boldness to carry that out. God, we are filled with uh, awe at who you are and how you care about us and that in caring for us, you became a human being. We recognize that Jesus is the one that you sent, that he is you in the flesh. And I pray for the person this morning who needs to take one step in the direction of figuring this out, that you will embolden them. Help them to know that it's not Brad talking to them. It's really you talking to them and you drawing them to yourself. Help them to take that step. And then help us as a faith family to be able to help them do that. That's what we do. And so we pray for everyone here for those of us who are Jesus' followers and can take a step in becoming more like Jesus, those of us who are still in the process and need to take one step in figuring out what we're going to do with Jesus. We pray that you'll continue to carry this good work out in us, and we ask it in the name of the one we've been talking about this morning, Jesus. Amen. Amen.